0: To all my people in the struggle, you think God's forgotten about you? Here's some pain medicine. Let's go. You in your car? You at the house? On your job? Be encouraged, boo. Come on. everyone no one can take us away from our loving father hello my name is Ariel Armstrong and I am so glad to be back and broadcasting I have a called so please forgive me but I knew I was to come on today and talk to you about what the Lord has just done in my life it's a new book he had me publish. it's called it's not about you and it's describing my continued journey with the Lord uh, as I'm walking on this earth and just being real, raw, and explaining uh, exactly how I did listen, how I didn't, how I was obedient, just things that happen, the miraculous, you name it. But before we get into that, let's go before the Father because this is my Father's house. And in my Father's house, there are many, many mansions and many rooms and many individuals. And a lot of you, I know I will see in heaven, I thank those who are coming up upon this show from the archives and also those who are present right now. So, Father, I just thank you. I lift up these people, Father. They are your precious people, and you always are speaking, Father. You use so many vessels. We are just a tool in your hand. And, Father, we just thank you for this broadcast. We thank you for the listeners. We thank you for the callers. And we thank you for what you want to accomplish in this time we have together. So Father, I thank you for the airways. I send forth legions of angels up and down the airways that will not allow the prince of the air to destroy or come against this communication. Because Father, you are the one who is speaking. And you use us to be your vessels. So Father, anoint my lips let the meditation of my heart and the words that I'm about to say be acceptable in your sight, in Jesus' name. All right, everyone, this is a great time. I just have so much to talk about. It's going to be like a three-part series. I felt like I am to read maybe a chapter or two and talk about whatever I feel that I'm led to talk about, but what is so I'm so excited about is that this new book and it's been released on Kindle, it's an e-book. You can look it up, it's called It's Not About You by Ariel Armstrong and God gave me the title and I will read you that chapter on how he gave me the title for this book but for the next five days it is free so it's, it's to get it out, communication, communicate to people, and what, whoever you feel led to give this to, read it for yourself, it'll encourage you, it'll edify you, it'll make you realize, oh my God, I'm not the only one that struggles with this or that God asked you to do some things and, you, and it doesn't make sense, but he gets the glory and he will get his people and he will get them from the very top runs of society to the very low runs of society of what people think, because God doesn't see that. He sees his creation. Now, with, with that, I just want to give you some background before I just read a, the main chapter that I feel led to, to read to you, is the fact that as a little girl, I have always loved books, loved, loved, loved books. I would sit outside and just read and read and read and read. And even today, I don't really buy magazines, but I because I can literally stand in the store and just read the magazine and I'm done with it, so it's just a waste of money. Um, I buy books because I can hold on to it, and I love putting my books in my bookcase when I'm able to. Right now, God has me on assignment, and by the way, I'm in Virginia. Um, I was in Texas, and. Eventually, I'd be going back out to LA, and again, that's another chapter that we'll talk about because it's always fascinating. But every place I go, God is is not only doing something to me, but also with the people that I'm connected with. But getting back as a little girl, I would love to read, and I was thought about the time one time in the summer. I was maybe about 10, 11, and there was a oak tree outside. And I would literally go and get my blanket and get something to drink and maybe a little snack. And I would sit out there and read 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 until really it almost, the sun was set. Then I would take the books and I'd go to the library and I would tell the librarian everything I read and then she would mark down that I read these books because it was a summer reading contest, book reading contest. and. I actually won. I read, in the span of a summer, 120 books. Uh, I just always love reading. And to me, reading, it takes you, it would take me to so, so many, I could just visualize. And I think that was also the beginning of the calling to eventually write books, which I felt I was incapable of ever doing. And it's really interesting that God will put in us seeds that the enemy will try and steal. He may thwart the plan. He may disrupt it. He may have the person not even realize why they feel the way they do. But when it's time for God to resurrect that desire or resurrect his desire in us, and in this case, it was to write. He'll show us where the root of what the enemy had put in us. So with that, I want to read to you the actual chapter of how it became It's Not About You. All right, so sit back with a cup of tea and um, I would do this with my kids. I also would read to um, anybody who would love to, to, that would love to hear me read or I love also for people to read to me, so I hope this is enjoyable for you, but it's called It's Not About You. I had just finished the manuscript of Be Made Whole. It had been rewritten several times in addition to being line and substantive edited, and it was now ready for publication. I was attending a conference hosted by the Christian Leaders, Authors, and Speakers Services class in Denver, Colorado. This organization was giving attendees an opportunity to speak to publishers and other literary agents. The conference was held in conjunction with the Christian Booksellers Convention. During the first day of the conference, publishers were to meet with speakers who were also prospective authors. I had contacted the conference host a week before it started to see if anyone wanted to share a room with me. They said they would take my information and give it to anyone who wished to do the same. A few days later, I was contacted by Pastor Essie Mathis, who called me before I could call her. We talked for a while. I really liked her. I learned that she was a pastor who was living in Delaware. As we talked, I discovered that we were both called to write and learned that she had two boys as I did. We then discussed arrangements for the conference. I can't make it the first day, but I will come be, but I will be coming the following morning, she said, pointing out a prior commitment. Oh, that's fine, I'll see you then, I said, after we had settled on the finances and hung up. I was excited to know that I would finally get my book published. The Lord had asked me to write the book. He actually named it, gave me the chapter titles, the outline, and the content. It just happened to be, I just happened to be, the pen in the master's hand. At first, I had been unsure of myself when it came to putting my thoughts down on paper. One day, when my son Robert was at home from college I was reminded of the source of this deep-seated fear of writing one day when my son Robert was at home from college he was on the computer and reading an email from one of his professors looking at the computer screen he dropped his head in his hands oh no the tone of his voice indicated something was seriously amiss what's wrong I asked. (sighs) My professor just gave me a D on a paper I wrote. He's wondering how I ever made it into college. Something burst inside me. No, you're not doing that to him. I spoke out loud and angry to the enemy of my soul, who was now attacking my son. Mom, what are you doing? You're scaring me. Robert said. My thoughts went back to college. My English professor had given me an F on a paper that I thought was pretty good. He had to comment, I don't understand, Kathy. You speak so well in class, but your writing, well, well, it's terrible. I didn't know what I was doing wrong or how to fix it. I did take a remedial class in English to fix the problems with my writing, but I couldn't grasp all the nuances. I somehow got by in college but I remember feeling totally inadequate my former professor words deeply wounded my already low self-image I decided immediately that I would never write again that interval was the source of the battle that was now raging within me the enemy The devil is a liar. He may be the prince of the airways, but God's word will go forth. Father, I thank you for this time, and I thank you that I will continue to persevere and press through. I bind up every evil force that is trying to come against this communication. For everything you do, you have to give back seven times what you have stolen. All right, everyone. Yep, this is the real battle we are in. We battle not with flesh and blood, but principalities and powers of darkness. As I was rudely interrupted, let me continue. I realized what he was doing, and I declared out loud to the atmosphere, you know what, Satan, the war is on now. I will write this book, and there is nothing you can do to stop it. The blood of Jesus is against you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Uh, okay, I am reading from my own book, and what happened is that, and I'm going to continue on because, alrighty. Bear with me for a minute, everyone. Uh, okay. That had helped me break through these fears and complete the manuscript that was now um, in my hand to try to get published. During the week before my departure, I was extremely busy between work, packing, errands, and making necessary arrangements. I had tons of things to do. When I arrived in Denver, I actually went to... Um, bear with me as I'm going through this, the, just warfare, but I will get through this. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I know the story, but I want to read it to you. There's something about the reading of, of the testimony, it says, as we overcome by the word of our testimony and the blood of the lamb. Okay, I had arrived in De- Denver and I had met with one of the publishers there, and I'm just talking um, uh, just until I get to the point I want to get to. And what had happened is they had said, well, you don't have 10,000 followers, so we can't publish your book?" Well, I was really, really upset. Really, I would just say this, I was just distraught. I was so tired. I was already tired. I had been plugging away. I had gone through a lot of warfare, and I was just done. I don't know if you've ever gotten to that point, but that's where I was. So, I now I'm back to, this, um, to the book. I thanked him and left. At first, I was in a daze, but when I got to my room, I erupted. I threw the manuscript on top of the dresser. You know what, God? I said, there's your manuscript. I'm done. No one is going to publish this. I did what you told me to, and then I added sarcastically, you get it published. Just writing about that, what transpired on that day in Denver, makes me cringe. But frankly, this is where I was at. I didn't want to repent. I was angry. Despite the Bible's warning not to let the sun go down on your anger, I was boiling over with this as well as a variety of other emotions. I'm leaving. I'm getting on the first flight out of here. I told myself. I went to bed, but needless to say, I couldn't sleep. I tossed and turned all night. I knew I was in rebellion, but I didn't care. I didn't want to repent and just felt justified with my attitude. Now morning came and there was a knock on my door. Oh, no. I had forgotten that my roommate was arriving. I really don't want to talk to her. I know. I will just tell her that she can keep the room. All sorts of ideas were running through my mind. I will tell her that I just decided to leave and... I rehearsed a variety of scenarios in my mind before I reached the door, but all were in vain once I turned the knob. Before I could say hello, my hands were grabbed and placed over my head. Satan, take your hands off of God's child. The woman in front of me said, prophet of God, get before the Lord. How dare you tell the Lord what you're not going to do? She blurted out. I slumped to the floor in a blubbering heap. I had angered God, and now he was chastising me. I was scared, both of God and of her. I hear the father saying, don't abort, don't abort, don't abort what I have put in you, daughter. She continued. I didn't hear any more. I heard what I needed to hear. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Lord. I sat, I sat sobbing and weeping profusely with every fiber of my being. Oh, I can see that the Lord is dealing with you. I'll see you later, she said, and I heard the door close. I repented to the Lord concerning my disobedience, my unbelief, my arrogance, and my pride. Eventually, I pulled myself off the floor. I staggered to the bed, crawled in, and pulled the covers tightly around my neck. I kept sobbing, and finally I fell asleep. It must have been a couple hours later when I heard Pastor Pastor Essie come back. I bought you some water, she said, holding two bottles of water in her hand for me to see. You bought me water? I began to cry again. I knew that she was bringing me water was a statement both naturally and spiritually. I was reminded of what Jesus said. Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh the water that I shall give him shall never thirst but the water that I shall give him shall be in him as a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Oh, I can see God is dealing with you, she said, as she placed the bottles of water on the nightstand next to me. Later on, we got to talking, and I noticed that I had the same color notebook that she had and same pages put in, And I just knew that God was telling me something like we're connected in a way. Now getting back to the book. That evening, sitting inside our hotel room, we talked. When she came back, and after I was more composed, she started to tell me about herself. She told me how the Lord told her to move to another state with no job, no immediate place to live. She didn't flinch at his request. She just obeyed. I was very impressed with her stories because I have never met anyone with such a faith walk like hers. I told her about my two sons and made the following statement. You know, my sons are in rebellion. I wish they would listen to God. Did I hear you say your sons are in rebellion? How can you say your sons are rebellious when you are in rebellion? Wow. My hypocrisy had been laid bare. While I was complaining about my sons, I had forgotten what I had just done, rebelling against God's plan for my book. Not only was I a rebel, but I was a hypocrite. God was using Pastor Essie to hold a mirror up to my face and forcing me to look at myself. This woman was sent by God. Pastor Essie then stopped and looked at me. God is telling me to tell you to grow up. It's not about you. The Lord was telling me to wake up. It's about the people he wants to reach through me. God must have a legal body to work with upon the earth. Those words that the Lord spoke to me changed the course of my walk with God. He was letting me know that lives are at stake and I must be obedient. My life changed from that moment when he spoke, It's not about you. Oh, listeners, I'm telling you, it's not about you, it's not about me, it's about what he wants to accomplish on this earth. Now, this book is over 272 pages, but I have to tell you, people have told me about my first book, Be Made Whole, it's a page-turner because it's real-life stories. These are real-life incidents where God stepped in and just did miraculous things it if nothing else my life is not dull it's an adventure that God will take us into places I could only dream of things I saw in movies I've actually walked out here on earth miracles of how this book was published there's a chapter of how I was at Dick Cheney's home two days before the election praying and in the atmosphere for this man. How God used me to pray for a young woman and how he appeared. And what probably would have took years of therapy delivered this young woman and told her her future. How my first trip to Israel and how God had used me strategically in various aspects. How going to the King David Hotel, which I had read about and had dreamed about going to. I walked with a couple of friends of mine, and God gave favor to us, where we actually saw the table where Menachem bit, ben- 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 and bacon um, and um, Sadat, Anwar Sadat wrote the peace treaty on and how we went into the King David room and how before that there was an ambassador coming and how we were just praying even though the person who brought us there didn't know that's what we were doing because we were speaking in tongues but we were just so excited how when God sent me back to Virginia revival broke out and how I was... able to be a part of that how I met the newly elected Iraqi Parliament members all just amazing and in the next last couple of minutes we have I want to read to you what happened when I went to Brussels I actually went to Brussels Belgium I was on an assignment with young students really amazing, because God uses us wherever we're at, and he, has, he, he doesn't limit us to what he can do through us if we're in certain areas. Well, this particular time, I was with a group of young people, and we had went to Brussels, Belgium. Okay, let me find that,
1: and
0: let's see. It's amazing. I really want to support it, Um, Oh, you know, you will also find out in the book how I had gold, my got my first gold feather, how I uh, actually, there were times when God cloaked me, that people didn't see me, how we were on the King's Highway. In Jordan along with the procession of the King of Jordan in Yemen and no one stopped us how supernaturally I met famous actress and was actually able to minister to her I mean it is amazing what God will do if we just allow him to now while I'm signing this I want to um, play this because I believe once I start reading, it will take us out. So I do want to give this Aaronic benediction, which is a prayer to you and is something that is a blessing to you from God. Here it is. tell you we will just continue on. European Union Headquarters, this is from Galatians 2.2. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message. I was traveling with students from the United States as part of a presidential leadership delegation we were scheduled to visit London Paris and Brussels the previous day we had been in London we went on the London Eye and visited the Globe Theater the kids even debated students from Eton College we're now on our way to Belgium via the channel tunnel we were headed to the capital of Belgium Brussels and it was Tuesday just like in the movie if it's Tuesday it must be Belgium This particular morning, I was informed by the 12 students that I was in charge of that they wanted to be known as the Yummy Chocolates. (laughs) After all, we were in Belgium. From the beginning of our educational tour, they had decided to come up with a creative name that I could call them by when I needed to get their attention. For instance, when we were in France, they were to be called the Smelly Cheeses. The only time I had a problem with their group name was in England when they wanted to be called the bloody killers. I said, no, I'm not running through the streets of London calling you bloody killers. So with much angst, they agreed that I could call them the BK kids. Come on, yummy chocolates, we have to get to our seats. I pleaded as we climbed the steps toward the economic union headquarters building. We had already visited the Grand Plaza, which is located in downtown Brussels, walked with a group to a chocolate factory, secured souvenirs, and had lunch at a local cafe. Our seats were in the group gallery seating, way up in the nosebleed section. Finally, we made our way up to the top gallery. Wow, this is so cool. The students agreed that this was the coolest thing they had ever seen. It was now time to see the European Parliament, the only elected body within the European Union. It has 736 elected members, representing over 500 million people. Not only is Brussels the capital of Belgium, but it is also the unofficial capital and headquarters of the European Union. It was here where we were going to listen to and see this legislative body called the European Parliament in action. I did not see it as a coincidence that I was inside the headquarters of the European Union. God had used me before to speak to leaders of all types, and now I'm bringing future leaders from the United States to help facilitate their learning experience. I'm going to move on, we listen as a member of parliament from the great Britain rose to speak. He was angry that the governing body was even considering accepting Turkey as part of the EU. He had told of the influx of radical Muslim and the rise of anti-Semitism in England. And as we were listening to them bicker back and forth of whether or not Turkey should be part of the EU, the Lord spoke to me. I want you to speak to this man, this leader, and encourage him. Let him know that what he is telling them is the truth. What, Lord? You want me to talk to him? How is that possible? I'm all the way up here, and he's all the way down there, and I'm with kids, and he's a world leader. I tried to convince the Lord, but nevertheless, I told the Lord, if you make a way, I'll do what you want me to do. After that discussion was over, we stayed for about another 15 minutes because we were scheduled now to go to Bredon, a concentration camp outside of Brussels. Come on, yummy chocolates, I said. I led my group down the hall. I looked to the other side of the hallway and saw a group of people making their way toward us. I realized that the oncoming entourage included the world leader that God wanted me to speak to. We almost ran into each other at the top of the stairs. Before I could try to figure out the probability of this happening and the enormity of what I was to say, I blurted out, excuse me, sir, can I talk to you? Security gathered around him as I approached. He looked at his security and nodded as if to tell him it's okay. Sure, he said, and then he stopped to see what I had to say. He waved on most of the entourage, motioning them to go ahead of him to the motorcade. Just one person stayed behind to stand guard a cordial distance away from us. Go ahead of me and get on the bus. I'll be there in a minute, I told my students as I waved for them to go in front of me. Nervously, I walked side by side down the steps with this world leader, just wanting to honor my promise to the Lord. I want to tell you that what you said in there was the truth. God wanted me to tell you this to encourage you in your stand. He was pleasantly surprised at what I told him. He then did something I didn't expect. He began to explain to me what was really going on in Great Britain as if I were a member of parliament. He told me about the rise of the skinheads and the rise of anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism. Thank you. Thank you, he said as we about to part. You're welcome. I only told you what God wanted, me, wanted you to know. Before we left, he, I reflected on this moment. It was years later that I came across the following, which was an article describing what this minister was talking and how the rise of anti-Semitism was coming to pass. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the time has just flown. It's been wonderful. I am going to um, be having another broadcast, but please go to amazon kindles and download your free copy and get the book for the next five days free and pass it on and tell many people and let me know what you think all right love you in the lord bye-bye to all my people in the struggle you think god's forgotten about you here's some pain medicine let's go In your car, you at the house, own your job, be encouragable. Come on!